this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Support for all the books comes from Talenti. When Talenti makes gelato and sorbetto, they tend to get a little overzealous. Did they need to use so many raspberries in their Roman raspberry sorbetto that the machine broke? Did they need to try 25 different chai teas to find the perfect spice blend for their vanilla chai gelato? Did they have to invent giant mint steamers to make their Mediterranean mint super minty? Does their obsessiveness make Talenti gelato and sorbetto the greatest? You be the judge, but yes, it does make them the greatest. They're also the judge. Talenti, the delicious, is in the details. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 106, and today we are talking about books released on May 9th, 2017, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow podcast, Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello. Hi. We might be coming from bookriot.com. This is my third podcast recording in 24 hours, because I'm getting ready to go on vacation, and we're recording this show early, and I like kind of don't know what my name is anymore. That's why I said it at the beginning. Thank so you. It was like a prompt. I'll just um, write it down on my hand. Yeah. I can't decide. I seem to go back and forth now between how I pronounce the numbers for the show. I'm like 104, 105, 106. Mm. I don't know. Like, whatever you feel like It probably says like a lot day. about my personality, but I can't seem to pick one and stick with it. I actually have never paid attention. Like, Jeff and I take turns doing the intro on the Book Riot podcast, and I've never paid attention to whether or not I'm consistent in how I do that. Because I suspect that I do also go back and forth. Like, I think we just did 207. But I don't remember, like we did it three hours ago, and I don't remember if I said 207 or 207 or <laughs> something else. Who knows? I live in the 207. Do you? Woo-hoo. Yeah. Holla. I mean, we're like one of the only states that only has like one area code for the whole state. <laughs> That's funny. Maine and Vermont, I believe. Maybe like one other state. So um, <laughs> before we get started, I just want to mention that um, we had some technical difficulties last week with the sound. Um, And so we did some extensive research, we hired some people to look into some things, and it turns out that it was Liberty. Um, It's basically my fault. Well, you got a new computer, and the microphone set up with the new computer had a bunch of different settings that needed to be set that we didn't realize or check before we recorded. So that was our bad. Yeah, so now hopefully everything is back to normal. Everything's like last time I really couldn't hear you, but you're like, you could hear me. So Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, everything's fine. And then no. (laughs) Now it's back to normal and we can snuggle again. Yes, it's all good. Right. Well, we are both, I think, a little bit like struggling today because (laughs) we're recording like five days earlier than we typically record the show. So we haven't had a ton of reading time to get into our May 9th books, but we have some good titles this week, some stuff I'm excited to talk about. So why don't you kick us off? Yes, I'm so excited to talk about my first book. Um, and I, I, it's one that I've loved for two decades, so I didn't have to do any research into this one. So excited. 
Uh, it's called Lives of the Monster Dogs by Kirsten Backus, and this is the 20th anniversary edition. It is coming out from FSG, and I could not be more excited if I swallowed a cat and broke out in kittens, or in this case, swallowed a dog and broke out in puppies. Um, like I said, <laughs> so this came out in 1997, and I read it the year it came out, um, just fell madly, madly, madly in love with it, and I basically, the short version, the elevator pitch is, it's Edward Scissorhands with dogs. Uh, which sounds awesome, right? <laughs> I don't I don't understand, but it does sound very interesting. You've not seen Edward Scissorhands? No, I have, but like how do dogs get scissor hands? Okay, so it takes place in two thousand and eight. Now remember this was written in nineteen ninety seven. It takes okay. place in two thousand and eight in New York City. And one day when about hundred and fifty scientifically altered dogs show up in the city. They walk upright, they have voice boxes, they can speak, they have prosthetic hands, like human hands, so that mm. they can do things, and they're highly intelligent, like smarter than most people, and they can talk and do everything, and they show up, and they have this amazing story. Uh, for the last 100-something years, they've been living in this castle in Canada. Um, a mad scientist named Augustus Rank created them. He surgically altered these dogs. And made this whole, like, super race of, of canines. And the scientist was from Bavaria, so the dogs all speak with these heavy, like, Germanic accents. And he created them, like, in the late 1800s. So the dogs have been living... He dies. And the dogs have been living in this castle. And they wear, like, coattails and top hats and, you know, bustly skirts and stuff. Like, they're all dressed like Victorian-era, you know, dogs. And, like, like there's other, you know, like... Dogs that dress like, you know, other ways. But anyway, um, and the first person that they meet is a woman named Cleo. She's a journalist. She's not in a great place in her life. Things aren't going really well for her. And this is an amazing, amazing event. You know, and she, uh, the dogs, you know, decide that they want to come out to the world. Like, you know, sh show themselves. And they set, get there very well off. And they get set up with a castle on the Lower East Side. And Cleo is one of the only people that gets to visit them and it tells you on the inside jacket, I don't know if it tells you on the new copy, um, what happens, but I'm not going to spoil that for you. But she learns a secret about them, and so Cleo and the dogs sort of kind of save each other. And it's just, it's so good. It won the um, Bram Stoker first novel. It was shortlisted for the Orange Prize, which is now the Bailey's Prize, which will now be something else. Um, and it went out of print for a long time. And then several years ago, there was, like, the movie rights changed hands, so there was talk of doing a movie again, but I don't know many people who have actually read this book. But now they're doing a 20th anniversary edition. It has an intro by Jeff Vandermeer, Ooh. who is rad. So I'm so excited about this. And I don't, I don't want to be, like, one of those people, but I am a little sad that they changed the cover because the original cover of this book is my favorite book cover of any book ever, like, easily, hands down. Um, it has a, a Malamute wearing a smoking jacket on it, and it's just awesome. If you don't know what a Malamute is, it's like a husky on steroids. It's a giant, huge dog, and I had one when I was a kid, so that was what caught my eye to begin with. And I'm still babbling, but it's just, I love, this is the only book that she has published. Um, you know, back then I was like, oh, I want another book from her, and why isn't she writing more books? And blah, blah, blah. You know, and now, like, now that we work in the book industry and we know writers and we know how that works, you know, I'm much less inclined to be like, give me more right now, you know, like, I understand how these things work. 
Um, and I'm so happy that this is going to get into more hands. Again, it's called Lives of the Monster Dogs by Kirsten Backus. Oh, my next one is one I'm super excited about, too, from one of my favorite writers. It's Saints for All Occasions by J. Courtney Sullivan. She wrote Maine and The Engagements, and I just love her fiction. It's like you sink right into it. It moves along. You want to read, like, I usually read her books in one or two sittings, and they are big books. Like, I am not a 400-page book in one sitting kind of girl, um, but that's what happens when I'm reading her because I just can't stop. This new novel is... Uh, primarily about Nora and Teresa Flynn. Uh, it, they are sisters. Uh, Nora is the older sister by a couple of years. And when Nora was 21 and Teresa was 17, they left their small town in Ireland, like more of a village actually, um, to come to America. Nora is typical older sister. She is very responsible, but she's also shy. She's serious. She is engaged to a man named Charlie um, that she's supposed to marry once she gets to the States, but she's not sure that she loves him or like more accurately, she's pretty sure that she doesn't love him and doesn't want to marry him, but it seems like the practical thing to do. Um, Teresa is like life of the party, adventurous, uh, instantly fits into new situations. But uh, shortly after they arrive in uh, America, they live in Boston, Teresa finds herself pregnant and Nora comes up with a plan of you know, what they're going to do about Teresa's pregnancy. And this decision that they make together, really that Nora makes for Teresa, affects the family for decades to come. Um, fast forward to the moment that the book opens, there has been a sudden death. Nora and Teresa have been out of touch now for many, many years because Teresa has become a cloistered nun. So they are estranged from each other. They don't communicate. But Nora calls the convent, like in the middle of the night and says, I have to tell you about this person who died. Um, and so then we start to learn about who that was that died, what the setup of the whole family is. Nora has become the mother of a big Catholic family. She has four grown kids and we spend time in the novel with each of them and like their lives are also richly portrayed. One is uh, a successful political consultant uh, one owns, uh, that's John. Bridget is the daughter, one of the daughters. She owns a um, dog rescue and she's getting ready to have a uh, baby with her girlfriend, but she's never officially told her mother, who is very, like Nora, who is the very serious stoic one, that she's gay. Moreover, she can't figure out how to tell her mother that she's going to have a baby um, with her gay wife. Um, there's Patrick, who is the oldest and Nora's favorite. He's like the beautiful boy, but the one who's always in trouble. And then there's Brian. Ryan, who is the baby, and is sort of like falling apart um, because several years ago he attempted to be a major league baseball player and he did not succeed and he hasn't quite picked up the pieces of himself since then. And the story moves between all of them. So it's this multi-generational family story with also, you know, multiple points of view, lots of things that I love in novels here. But J. Courtney Sullivan just gets right into the meat of these family dynamics of what happens when um, family members really care for each other but can't make that care come across in good ways where they're trying to control each other or they're keeping secrets and what the effect of those secrets is on down the line for years. It is so, so good. If I hadn't finished it today, I was just going to like, you know, find some way to magically not work and read it. It is just excellent. A great novel for summer. It's also perfectly timed out. It's like out now before Mother's Day. If you need to give your mom a really good book to read, this is an excellent one to give. Again, it's called Saints for All Occasions by J. Courtney Sullivan. I'm excited to see her. 
She's oh, be that's right. Here in Maine. You're just week, rubbing it in. Rubbing it in. So, our first sponsor, I'm mm-hmm. going to tell you about them. Please do. It's Third Love. They're back. I don't have any jokes this time, except the two in front of me, so I don't know. Um, I actually tried to come up, I was like, what do boobs and books have in common? Like, tried to come up with some jokes, but um, they were all dirty. So I decided I couldn't say anything. One that the only clean one I could was like, they're both a real pain to move. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so let's talk about Third Love because they're back and they are awesome. When it comes to bra shopping, it's all about finding the right fit for you. And there's only one lingerie brand that offers bras in sizes double A through G and half cup sizes. And that's Third Love. You know we love them. Third Love <laughs> uses thousands of real women's measurements and super smoothing memory foam to create bras that fit better and feel great. There's a perfect bra for everyone, and now you can find yours in just seconds by answering a few simple questions from Third Love's Fit Finder. Try one of their best-selling bras for free for 30 days. You just pay $2.99 for the shipping, and then you get one of Third Love's signature 24-7 bras. You can cut the tag off, you can do whatever you normally do when you get a bra, and you'll see how easily a perfect-fitting bra fits into your life. You wash it, you wear it, you might even forget that you have it on. That's, like, the best part is, like, you don't think about it all day, you're not, like, scrambling to get it off at the end of the day. That's just such a relief. And if your third love brat isn't your new favorite, you can always return it and exchange it for, or exchange it for free. So you go to thirdlove.com slash books to find your perfect fitting bra, and you try it for free for 30 days. That's thirdlove.com slash books, and it'll let them know that you came from us. And you really, really should. It's great. It's so great. I, we hear from listeners all the time. We're like, I tried this out. It's exciting. Mm-hmm. So what's next it's, for you? It's, it's my turn again. Me with all the words. Um, okay, so yep. uh, I think that this is a Rebecca book. I don't know what that says without telling you what it is first. But um, my <laughs> next pick is called Man of the Year, a Memoir by Lou Cove. And this was just one that showed up in my mailbox. And I was like, huh. And I read it, and it's so good. Um, it's it's a memoir, like the title says, and when Lou Cove, the author, was 12 years old, his family moved from New York City to Salem, Massachusetts, you know, that place where they like to do horrible things to their neighbors, mm-hmm. um, and his family was sort of an unorthodox family, and they moved to puritanical Salem. It's They were the only Jewish family, which made them stand out. And also, the house that they buy has an apartment on the back, and they rent it out to a gay man who is Lou's dad's college fraternity buddy, but the neighborhood is just up in arms because now there's a gay man living in the neighborhood. Like, this is like the 70s. So, a few weeks, a few weeks or a couple months after they moved there, his dad's friend, Howie Gordon, arrives from California, and Howie shows up with his wife, Carly, and Lou thinks that they are just, like, the most attractive people he has ever seen. They're so glamorous. They're wearing, like, dashikis and silk pants, and they're just, like, really cool. And they show up in a VW bus, and they are just kind of traveling around on their honeymoon. They just got married. And they, that night, they all have dinner, and they bring out a slideshow, and they show pictures of how they had a naked wedding, And, like, Lou is just, like, enamored with them. He's like, these guys are so cool. Like, he looks up to Howie, and his dad can already tell, like, this is not going to end well. Um, And so they stay there for a long time with Lou's family. 
and Howie ruffles some feathers. They, he and Carly have an open marriage, but it doesn't seem to be an equal feeling about that, oh. you, know, you know, sort of. Mm-hmm. So there's some people who are upset. Um, Howie starts sleeping with Lou's dad's secretary, which doesn't go over really well. And pretty soon, like, his views and behavior affect everybody, both good and bad. Like, it's putting some strain on his parents' marriage. Um, Howie likes to smoke pot and swear a lot in front of the kids. and um, But he gets it in his head. This is where Man of the Year comes in. He asks <laughs> Lou to help him become Playgirl's Man of the Year. He decides <laughs> he's going to pose nude and win fame and glory. So he enlists Lou into helping him get the votes. So they, they canvass the town. Um, trying to find supporters. And, you know, and you can imagine this because this is, like I said, you know, puritanical Salem. And, you know, this is like the worst thing that these you could do, probably, other than question, you know, if somebody's family really arrived, uh, arrived on the Mayflower, you know. So it's it doesn't go so well for them all the time. I'm not going to tell you how it turns out, but it ends up being Lou's summer project. Um, it's The writing is really fast and loose, and it works really well for this book. I really, really enjoyed the enjoyed the writing. It's very funny. It's very dirty. The dedication at the beginning is something like, you know, to my children who are the age now that I was when this happened, you're not allowed to read this or something like that. Um, and it's it's really good. And also, don't Google Howie Gordon at work. <laughs> um, that's a thing I learned from home. So I'm just going to impart that wisdom to you now or in front of your children. But it's so much fun, and it's it's a really unusual story. You know, that's not like your usual summer project. So, again, it's called Man of the Year, a memoir by Lou Cove. Awesome. Uh, my next one is one I'm in the middle of reading. I haven't finished it yet, but so far I'm really liking it. It's Ramona Blue by Julie Murphy. She wrote Dumplin', which was out a year or two ago. That was so good. It's young adult. And uh, she's done it again, I think, with another really memorable character who is dealing with big issues and big questions in her life. Um, Ramona's family was affected by Hurricane Katrina when she was only five years old. And ever since then, it's kind of been like them just struggling to to figure things out. Um, she's a white girl from a working class family, but she's over six feet tall. She has bright blue hair and she is a lesbian. She lives in Eulogy, Mississippi, so not the easiest place to be a blue-haired, tall, teenage lesbian. And, you know, her mom is working multiple jobs. She's working multiple jobs. Her mom is kind of flaky. And her dad is one of those like bumbling dads who is well-meaning but never actually gets anything done. And to top it off, Ramona's sister is pregnant. And so their whole family is just like everything is really difficult. It's not easy being Ramona. Um, And then Ramona meets a guy named Freddie. Um, He is a straight guy. He's black. He's from a middle-class family. He and Ramona have a lot of differences to bridge. Plus, there's the fact that Ramona identifies as lesbian. But she falls for Freddie. And this becomes sort of like their relationship is not even like the crux of the book. But if you've been reading stuff on the internet about Ramona Blue, you may have seen that there's a like kind of a controversy going on here. Ramona identifies as lesbian. She meets Freddie and she falls for him and they have a romantic relationship. And the book becomes a big exploration in many ways of Ramona's identity and of how she understands 
who she is. Um, it's this is essentially her discovering in my reading of of it. It's her discovery of her bisexuality or of the fact that sexuality is fluid. Um, and there have been objections to the way the book is marketed. And I have seen like in some places it's been presented as like she's a lesbian until she meets the right guy who turns her straight. And like that's not actually the book. So be mad at the marketing, but not at the book. Julie Murphy is not saying she just needed to meet the right guy to turn her straight. And Ramona is very sort of, you know, tangled up in knots about like, I thought I was a lesbian and she, I, you know, has her identity and her community and doesn't know really what to make of herself if she is bi or maybe she's straight, but she never really thinks she's straight. She's sure of her attraction to girls throughout the book. Um, so it's, you know, messy the way that adolescence is messy and the way that sexuality is messy and can be confusing no matter what age you are and i think it's really well done i'm you know i'm not bi i'm not gay and so i can't speak for myself from that experience and of course bisexual and gay people aren't a monolith so not everyone might like this book but i think that it's a really thoughtful and interesting exploration of something that science tells us is true which is that sexuality especially for women is fluid and that I, our identities can change and that's what ramona is wrestling with in this book plus there's all this interesting race and class stuff as she and freddie are making sense of how to talk to each other when they're from such different experiences it's terrific. Um, it's it's the way that we want YA to be, I think, about real issues that teenagers face um, in a way that doesn't talk down to them or minimize or diminish the questions that they have about their life. Um, so I'm not done with it yet, as I've said, but I'm far enough in to feel like this is a, a good book that I'm happy to endorse. Um, so it's Ramona Blue by Julie Murphy. I haven't read it yet, but Everyone I know who has read it just absolutely loves it. Yeah. I was super late to the dumpling party, and I did not want to make that mistake again. Yeah. She's awesome. Speaking of awesome, mm -hmm. I was super late to this party, and I'm so glad that I have caught up. It's Binti by Nettie Okorafor. And I read them, like, like last weekend was the Dewey's Readathon, which is an awesome thing that they do twice a year. And they're novellas. The first one, it's Binti, and then the second one's called Binti Home, and I read them both. Um, the first one won the Hugo and the Nebula for Best Novella, and they're so fantastic. Uh, it's about a young woman named, uh, can you guess? Binti? Yay! Give that woman a prize. <laughs> um, she is the first of her people, the Himba people, to ever get into Umza University, which is in space. In case you couldn't tell, this takes place a little bit in the future. Um, so she's like this off-the-charts genius, uh, and she's sort of um, courted by this university, and they, they're like, you know, we want to bring you in and pay for everything and all that stuff, and her parents say no. Um, she, she is set to follow in her father's footsteps with the family business, and her parents say no. Plus, you know, they think it's dangerous. No one from their people have ever been there, and, you know, but she's like, oh, but I really want to do this. So she secretly says yes. She enrolls, and then she runs away. And she's like, I'm going to go to school, and then my parents are going to be so proud when they see what I do, and then I'm going to, like, deal with them after. So she runs away, but on her way to the university, um, on, she's on the ship, it is attacked by the Medus, which is an alien race that has been at war with most of the other people um, who are on the ship and the people who are at the university. Um, they're very angry because the university has something of theirs that they shouldn't have, and so they attack the ship. 
And so now here is Binti. She's in space. She's away from home. And she's caught up in the middle of a war that she has nothing to do with. Um, so she'll have to use her gifts and the wisdom of her people to bring it to an end. Um, I didn't realize how much I needed these until I read them. And mm. oh my goodness, they're so good. Um, her imagination and her writing are just absolutely superb. And I would be lying if I said that this isn't a very spot-on commentary about people just here on Earth now. It's so fantastic. Um, the second one came out at the end of January. There's a definite cliffhanger in the second one. The first one sort of, like, resolves, but the second one it has a definite cliffhanger. Um, I'm not going to tell you anything about that one, because if you haven't read the first one, I don't want to be like... And then, now that she has captured the giant robot ostrich... Um, but in the second book, she learns more about her people. I'll say that. So, Tor.com, the publisher has confirmed that a third book is coming in January of next year called Binti, The Night Masquerade. They're so good. Again, these are Binti and Binti Home by Nettie Okorafor. Whoa, there's a motorcycle outside my house. Can you hear that? I heard that. Yeah, that was loud. I, I was like, really what is that? Is it a lion in your office? Mm, revving my engines. <laughs> and I'm really excited about our next sponsor. That's what that was. Damn it, I missed my there chance. There you go. <laughs> oh, <laughs> our next sponsor is Woman Number 17 by Eden Lepucky. Woohoo! I love her. You might recognize her. She most recently wrote California, which was awesome. Came out a couple years ago. And let me tell you about woman number 17. High in the Hollywood Hills, writer Lady Daniels has taken a break from her husband. Left alone with her children, she's going to need a hand taking care of her young son. In response to a Craigslist ad, S arrives, a magnetic young artist who will live in the guest house, care for Lady's toddler, Devin, and keep a watchful eye on her teenage son, Seth. But in the heat of the summer, S's connection to Seth takes a disturbing and possibly destructive turn. Darkly comic, twisty, intense, this mesmerizing new novel from Eden LePucky defies expectation. It's a sinister, sexy noir about art, motherhood, and the intensity of female friendships set in the posh hills above Los Angeles. Yeah. Ooh. And like I said, she is the New York Times bestselling author of California... She also has, I think they've sort of republishing it. Oh my goodness! It's uh, if you are not yet like me, which was like a short, a short book that she wrote before California that I absolutely loved. Came out from like a little mm. indie publisher. So if you like darkly comic, twisty, intense books, this is the one for you. That is women. Look, I can't talk today. Woman number seventeen, and we thank them for sponsoring. Awesome. I like sinister. It's a good, good descriptor. Yes. All right. My next pick this week is a book that came out last week because remember, May 2nd was a huge day for new releases. Uh, and so we didn't get to everything. And this is Astrophysics for People in a Hurry by Neil deGrasse Tyson. It is so much fun. It's exactly what it sounds like. This is like bite-sized little chapters or like even mini chapters is more appropriate about astrophysics, like the nature of space and time and like how do we fit within the universe and is the universe inside of us and what are quarks anyway? Uh, I still am not entirely sure. But this is really great. Um, I have been reading it on ebook, but I think it would be terrific on audio. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson narrates it himself. And if you just had to do like short little jaunts, you know, like if you had the five minute drive to get the kids to school or my eight minute drive to the grocery store or whatever, this would be a great way to 
just like inject a little, you know, smarty pants astrophysics into your day. It's so much fun. And his voice, you know, like if you've ever seen him speak or you've read any of his other work, his voice is so direct and straightforward. And he has this great way of taking huge questions and like giant things to understand about the world and making them seem manageable. Um, so this little like bite-sized approach that he's doing here is terrific. Astrophysics for a People in a Hurry by Neil deGrasse Tyson. Um, for my last pick, I'm not actually going to talk about a book. I'm going to ask the ATBs to indulge me for a moment and do some shameless self-promotion. Oh, I'm sure that's going to be okay. I have a new feather in my book riot cap, and I'm very excited about it. And I want to tell everybody. We have a new newsletter called Book Radar, and it's written by me. Woohoo! And it is like news about upcoming titles that you should watch for, like must reads, um, book and movie deals, like what books are coming from what authors, and who's being made into a movie, um, cover reveals, all kinds of fun stuff. And I'm super excited for everyone to see it. And I also want to plug the new books newsletter if you still have not signed up. Uh, I talk about new books in the new books newsletter, surprise, uh, every week. And I don't like to overlap with what I do on the show. So it's filled with a bunch of other great books that you're not hearing about here. So it's definitely worth signing up. Um, so you can go to bookriot.com slash newsletter dash sign up or find the link in the menu of the bookriot.com page and you can sign up for that. You can sign up for all our, we have so many fabulous newsletters now. Like, we do. I can't there's even, a ton. I can't even keep track of them, but there's like a mystery one and a nonfiction one and an audio... Is there an audio book one? Yeah. Yes, there's and an audio book one. That's like the only one I, I don't open because I don't listen to that. And there's a new romance one called Kissing Books. Which is hilarious, yeah. It is. And it's great. science fiction one. Anyway, we have all kinds of awesome newsletters. Um, so Book Radar, look for it. And Woo-hoo. yeah. All right, now I'll let you talk about books. All right, my last one, this is also a book um, I'm catching up on. It came out in April. It's called Option B, Facing Adversity, Building Resilience, and Finding Joy. It's by Sheryl Sandberg and Adam Grant. Sheryl Sandberg, of course, being the CEO of Facebook who wrote Lean In, and Adam Grant is a psychologist who uh, wrote Originals, which came out, I think, last year. Um, That's a great an exploration of the psychology of creativity, and he pulls in a lot of interesting business and innovation stuff. This book is part memoir, part self-help, part science um, that grows out of the tragedy that occurred um, a couple of years ago. Sheryl Sandberg was on vacation with her husband and a bunch of their friends, and her husband passed away unexpectedly and very suddenly from a heart problem that they did not know that he had. They had two small children together. They'd only been married for 11 years, and she you know, was anticipating the rest of their lives together, and then that did not happen. Um, in the process of you know rebuilding her life and healing from that loss or beginning to heal from that loss. She started talking to Adam Grant, who, because when you're the CEO of Facebook, you get to be friends with Wharton psychologists and professors. Uh, Grant started telling her about what research shows about resilience and sort of what she could pull into her own personal coping based on what we know about, you know, psychological patterns of people who are grieving. And after that, 
they have written this book together that's not just about, you know, how to recover from grief or how to recover from a difficult moment, but about how to support people who are going through the loss of a loved one or a divorce or cancer or all those other things that we know are really hard for people, but that we have a really hard time knowing how to reach out and how to help them, knowing how to say the right thing or to just not say the wrong thing. Um, and it's really insightful. I will tell you, if you listen to this on audiobook, it is a five alarm snot bomb at points. Um, <laughs> I stole that term from um, Jeff's lovely partner, Michelle, and it's accurate here because there are sections of the book where um, where the narrator, the audiobook is narrated by Elisa Donovan. So we're not hearing Sandberg herself, but she's reading sections of the journal that Cheryl Sandberg kept in the first six months after her husband's death. And it is really raw. I'm so just like kind of just openly in admiration of that Sheryl Sandberg is willing to put all of this out there, um, all of that pain from those first six months and, you know, what she was thinking and what she was struggling with, but also how she, you know, what do you do when you have to go back to work? Or what do you do when you're at work and a coworker has experienced an unexpected loss and they're a person and you're a person, so they need support. But like, what, how does that actually look? How do you make it doable for someone. And she shares, you know, anecdotes from her own life in addition to sort of the psychological principles behind resilience. And the good news, friends, is that it, you can build resilience. Uh, it, it helps if you are already a resilient person before you experience a major setback or a major loss in your life. But there are things that you can do to build resilience, even once you've experienced the tragedy, to help yourself come back from it more effectively and to be you know, healthier sooner and happier sooner. And the title comes from the idea one of her friends told her, of like, you're never going to have option A anymore. Option A was your life with Dave that you had been planning on and looking forward to, but you can just kick the crap out of option B and make it, you know, make it as big and beautiful as possible. So this is kind of about that, that like none of our lives are actually option A all the time. And how do we do that elegantly and happily? And how can we support each other in doing it? It's pretty good. I'm not all the way done yet either, mainly because every time I start listening to it in the car, I think I'm going to cry. So I have to like take a break. Um, but it's really, really excellent. And there's a lot of good information to chew on. So again, that's option B, Facing Adversity, Building Resilience and Finding Joy by Sheryl Sandberg and Adam Grant. Very nice. And thank you. Good I always book. think of originals as the book that has the rainbow coffee ring on the cover. Yeah, it's a, it's like a very it memorable like. cover on that book. Like, what were you drinking? Those are our new books this week. And before we get into what we're going to read next, we have one more sponsor. Grand Central Publishing is presenting the Instant Book Club Sweepstakes. So you enter for a chance to win 10 copies of one of these titles for your book club. Got that? You're in a book club. You want to win. You're going to get 10 copies of one title so everyone can read the same thing. Here are the options. Pachinko by Min Jin Lee. Didn't you read that? <gasps> it's the best. Oh, good. The Devil and Webster by Jean Hamp Korolitz. <gasps> I'm going to do that after every week. Is it going to turn out that you've read all 10 of these? Because that's, yeah. like that's highly I'll probable. I'll stop now so you can just keep going. <laughs> uh, the Excellent Lombards by Jane Hamilton. 
Before the Fall by Noah Hawley, Small Hours by Jennifer Kitsis, Mr. Rochester by Sarah Shoemaker, or The Secret Diary of Hendrick Grown by Hendrick Grown. Seven lucky winners, one per title, will get 10 copies of one of those titles to share with their book club, and you'll get to download a free discussion guide for happy reading. There's no purchase necessary. There are some official rules, so we'll have a link in the show notes that you can check out to enter Grand Central Publishing's Instant Book Club Sweepstakes. Pretty cool. Those are some great titles. There are, yeah. Before the Fall, what did it just win? The Edgar, I think, for Best Novel. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I have not read that, but it's been on my list forever. I liked it very much. Of course you did. Yeah. So... What are you going to read next? Um, so I got a little thing in the mail about an hour ago called Fresh Complaint Stories by Jeffrey Eugenides. Ooh, hey there. Yeah. That's was, a galley brag. I yeah, see you. I, I couldn't even, like, hold it in. It's a super galley brag. Very excited. And, and speedy for him. Usually he takes about ten years between things. Mm-hmm. And I think the marriage plot came out only five years ago. So I was teasing Amanda that one of the stories is about when she cornered him and talked about roast beef at the um, <laughs> BEA breakfast. At the author lunch. She like yeah. got really, oh yeah, like she got, I don't know if you carnivores eat roast beef for breakfast. <laughs> um, she got really nervous and started babbling about lunch or something. So she's like, I'm yep. never going to live that down. I was like, why wouldn't you? It's great. <laughs> it's a great story. <laughs> yeah. So what are you going to read? Oh, You're, you I... got lots of choices and some sort of free time in the next couple days. Well, yeah, I'm um, going to be reading for next week's show, but I'm also, I think, going to be reading, well, it's coming out in paperback next week, but it's This Must Be the Place by Maggie O'Farrell, <gasps> whom I love. I love mm-hmm. her very much. I missed this book when it came out in hardcover last year, and I just like forgot that it existed, I guess, mainly so that I could avoid the pain of having there be a Maggie O'Farrell book out in the world that I had not read yet. So the paperback showed up on my doorstep yesterday and I was like, how perfect. I'm going on vacation and I'm going to read you. So that is my plan. Excellent. All right. So that is our show. Lots of stuff packed in. Thank you to our sponsors, Talenti, Gelato and Sorbetto, to Third Love. Go to thirdlove.com slash books to start your free 30-day trial with one of their 24-7 bras. Woman number 17 by Eden Lepucky. We'll have a link to that in the show notes, or you can find it wherever books are sold. And look for the link in our show notes to enter Grand Central Publishing's Instant Book Club sweepstakes. If you have something to say to us, you can do that at all the books at bookriot.com or talk to us on Twitter. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Liberty is Miss Liberty. And if you have a minute, you want to give us a little tip or a pat on the head, you can rate or review the show on iTunes. It lets us know how we're doing, but more importantly, it helps other folks who are looking for a good book-related show, which I'm pretty sure this is one, find their way to us. So thanks again to all of you guys who have done that already and helped build our ATB community. Yes, they're so much fun. I love our our little ATBs. They're so cute. But as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today or books in general, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash books slash all the books. I can't talk today. (laughs) As well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. You're the one going on vacation, but my brain is totally left. I am completely just baffled by the fact that we've succeeded in making words again. I'm, you know, worded out now. (laughs) I'm going to go read silently. Yay! And in the meantime... In the meantime... Happy happy reading. reading!